You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers, and you can find all of the podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It's Opponent Wednesday for the Detroit Lions. Ty Schalter is here from Lions Wire. He covers the NFL as well for 538 which is an ESPN property. He does a podcast at uh, Athletic Detroit with Chris Burke, who we had on the show the last time these two teams met. So looking forward to that conversation. Before we do, we, we do have to clean up a little bit from uh, the discussion yesterday about the game, the, the Packers-Vikings game, because a couple things came out of this. Number one, Jason Spriggs is going through what, what is apparently a serious knee injury. So he'll be out the year, and and if it is an ACL or something like that, he could miss either some or potentially most of next season, which obviously affects Green Bay's depth at offensive tackle. Uh, already an issue with, with Bulaga out for the year with his ACL injury. So that's not the greatest news for the Packers. Uh, the other thing that, that I think is worth mentioning here is Mike McCarthy talked about playing young players and, and you know if that was part of the plan. He claimed that, that you know they're going to go try and win a football game. The, the snap count data from this last game suggests otherwise because they played a lot of guys who would not otherwise be playing and not just because of the injuries. I mean, guys like Michael Clark, who we talked about, Jeff Janis, who never plays at receiver unless a million guys get hurt. Talking about you know deep backup, Lindsey Pipkins, and uh, you know a, a lot of different guys. I, I expect to see that against Detroit to some degree. I, I think it's also worth pointing out that McCarthy was emphatic about his support of Brett Hundley. He has gone out of his way, bent over backward, to defend Brett Hundley. He assigned seven drops, the coaching staff did, blamed the drops, blamed you know the injuries to Richard Rodgers. They apparently had a lot of two tight end sets in the game plan. They lose Aaron Jones. And all of those things are true. And all those things contributed to Brett Hundley not playing well. I wish it seemed like McCarthy saw what most people see, and that is a quarterback who's struggling. Now, of course, there are obviously circumstances that that he has excelled in. Late in games, he's been huge. And he has made some some incredible clutch plays for this team. And and I understand why that would be appealing to a head coach. The excuses, I mean, I I have been accused by some, um, even some of my friends, of being somewhat of a Hunley apologist. I, 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 I don't apologize for that. And even I can see that, that this was a problem. Now, again, seven drops. I'm talking about seven. And I, I didn't consider the Michael Clark one a drop on fourth down, but it very easily could have been. And so that could be how you get to seven. There's a lot of bad drops. And the team has to help out their quarterback better in these sorts of situations. They have to... This week, if they want to win. Now, the, the last thing that that I'll that I'll bring up before we get to tie, 
is this ridiculous Aaron Rodgers IR thing. Now, Aaron was put on IR. That was discussed. And then it came out earlier in the week that there were some teams that were annoyed that Rodgers had not sustained a new injury and therefore could not be put on IR or that once he was healthy enough to play would need to be released per the rules of the league. Well, here's the thing. The NFL controls the moves or at least has to approve the move. So when an NFL team wants to place a player on IR, they have to submit that move to the league. The league approves it and they move forward. Furthermore, the Packers have to decide if Rodgers is cleared to play. And by league rules, if he is not cleared to play, if he is hurt, he can be put on IR. This is a common practice. Teams do it forever. They've always done this. Andrew Brandt pointed out on Twitter that that this is the time of year when guys get put on IR for hangnails because they don't want to cut them. They want to, they want to keep that roster spot, though, and they obviously want to keep the player, so they get put on IR. Teams around the league have loaded IRs right now because of things like this. But because it was Aaron Rodgers, some teams thought they could get cute, at least per reporting from Adam Schefter. So this is really a non-story. It was a fun thing to talk about around Christmas. It was a fun thing for the fire Ted Thompson, fire Mike McCarthy group to get up in arms about. But ultimately, it's a non-story. Before we get to Ty, I want to remind you about our Pro Football Focus Edge giveaway. All it takes is your name and your Twitter handle and a review of this podcast on iTunes, and you'll be entered to win a Pro Football Focus Edge subscription. That's a $39.99 value and would get you access to player grades, all sorts of player tools and charts and data for your fantasy team. Obviously, those things are are done for now, but this would be a year-long subscription. You could use it next year. You could use it in the offseason. They've got great NFL draft content. They chart college. They're one of the few media organizations that, that does that and makes that information available to people, but it is available only behind a paywall. You can get around that paywall if you win our contest. Your name, your Twitter handle, in a review, on iTunes, and you'll be entered to win. All right, let's bring in Ty Schalter. You can find him on 538. You can find him at the Lions Wire, where he is an editor. You can find him at the Athletic Detroit, where he does a podcast with Chris Burke. He is on Twitter, at Ty Schalter, S-C-H-A-L-T-E-R. He has a magnificent beard. Ty, thanks for joining Lockdown Packers. Absolutely, Peter. Thanks for having me on. A lot less drama for a week 17 Lions-Packers <laughs> matchup than we had last year. And if you'd have told me in week four or week five that this is where we would be in terms of the the records and that this game wouldn't mean anything, I'd probably think that that was because the Lions season fell apart, uh, not because the Packers season fell apart. And in the end, both seasons both fell apart. Seasons, yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, man. Season to forget. It's for one of teams. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, so what I was what I was interested in and to start the season, the Detroit Lions defense really, really played at, at a much higher level than than they were playing last year. They were scoring with their special teams and their defense. What what can you attribute the uptick in not just not just overall level of play, but production from this defense? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of factors. Number one, of course you know just generally the level of play was very high i think part of it was because they bolstered the cornerback depth 
at the two and three spots that brought in DJ Hayden. Tease Tabor obviously was inactive, the second round pick for much of the beginning of the season. Um, but Jamal Agnew was a big surprise, a fifth round rookie. Uh, you know, when he was drafted, people went, wait a minute, you know, okay. You got Slay, Lawson, Tabor, second round, signed DJ Hayden. Wait a minute, you're running out of roster spots. Like Andre Diggs, like he was really good when he was healthy in the slot. Like you're talking about drafting a guy in the fifth round and cutting him. Of course, that didn't happen. Uh, they also had Johnson, Batamosi, a couple others. So having that depth at cornerback and letting people match up, I believe that let them free up Glover Quinn a little bit more. Also, you have Tavon Wilson at safety, Miles Killebrew coming on at safety. Um, and you kind of went, okay, well, now you have the flexibility to let Quinn jump some routes as opposed to just kind of throwing him back there in the back of the defense and you know, play more of a center field, play more of a stop gap. And letting him come up and jump routes created a lot of picks, uh, created a lot of turnovers, created a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, and I think they were also a little bit more capable of uh, pass rush at the beginning of the year. You know, nobody really knew what they had in Anthony Zettel. He's an undrafted guy who barely saw the field last year, came on strong at the beginning. Uh, and when teams are, are, you know, confident they can single block, don't need to chip in, um, you know, then, then that gives the, the pass rush a little more opportunity to succeed create more mistakes, uh, create more bad passes. And I mean, frankly, in retrospect, at the beginning of the year, you know, oh my gosh, like they're picking off Drew Stanton. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm sorry. They're picking off Carson Palmer. Oh, they're picking off Eli Manning. You know, in hindsight, eh, that wasn't quite the achievement that it looked like at the beginning. Um, you know, and, and of course, it also wasn't sustainable where you go and go, okay, the Lions are going to win a lot of football games as long as they get three to five turnovers and at least one defensive and or special teams (laughs) touchdown per game. That's it just never was going to hold up for 16 games. Well, and it finally evened out. And by the end of the year, now they're, they're right in the middle of the field. Last time I checked in terms of offensive yards per play, but at the beginning of the year, they were one of the worst teams in, and right until, you know, into October and, and November, they were one of the worst teams on a per play basis offensively. And you're going, how, why, how is this happening? And, and a lot of it was they couldn't run the ball at all. And yeah. the Jim Bob Cooter offense had a lot of dink and dunk elements, but it seems like eventually they got a lot of these big plays down the field, Golden Tate and Marvin Jones, uh, when they're healthy. I don't think they get nearly enough credit for being as good as they are. Marvin Jones, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. genuinely might be the most underrated receiver in football. He is incredible. And not just because he destroys the Packers, which he absolutely <laughs> does, but he is, he is incredible when he is on the field and healthy. Yeah. And I mean, you can make a case that if it's not one, it's the other, you know, if it's not Marvin Jones is the most underrated, you know, golden Tate. Right. And, and Tate is one of those guys, especially that, uh, you know, when you talk to, to players, you know, when you talk to, to teammates, to opponents, you know, who are you looking out for? Who do you respect? Whose brain are you trying to pick? Who are you scared of? Uh, Tate's the name that comes up the most often. Uh, and, and, you know, part of this all comes back to the Lions offense. You mentioned Jim Bob Cooter. One thing they did last year that I thought was really impressive was realizing they couldn't run and switching to that dink and dunk yard after the catch thing. They really successfully did the passing game is the running game thing. They more or less abandoned the running game and went, you know what, we're just going to dump off short passes. We've got a lot of guys who got really well, Golden Tate, Theo Riddick, Amir Abdullah even. Um, and, and they were able to, they actually led the NFL in time of possession per drive. 
They were they were putting together the longest clock draining possessions in the NFL while barely even running really? the ball at all. Yeah. Yeah, um, and part of that was to get keep their defense off the field because their defense was also surrendering. They're number 32 in time of possession. They're surrendering the longest nice. drives in the NFL. So come back around, and I really think everyone in the Lions organization believed the additions they made on the offensive line um, and, and you know getting Theo Riddick back healthy and you know, adding a couple guys to the mix. You know They brought in Matt Asiata, uh, Dwayne Washington, um, and of course, uh, Tian Green, the undrafted guy who surprisingly made the final roster, um, all of that, they really believe they're going to be able to run the ball more. And they spent most of the season trying with basically no success to run on early downs early in the game and establish the run. And it just, all it did was slow them down and get them off to slow start after slow start. Um, and, and really the injuries on the offensive line derailed so much of that because a a lot of the runs they're doing were stretch runs, movement runs, a lot of movement blocking traps, zones, a lot of like slow developing running lanes um, that rely on sort of a ballet of this guy getting to this stretch block and this guy pulling and all this other stuff. And you're doing it with Don Barkley and Emmett Cleary and, you know, Greg Robinson and and guys are signing off the street and, practice squatter Packer fans know that Don yes. Barkley I, I, that was the first name I went for because I knew your listeners would appreciate the ridiculousness of signing Don Barkley off the street and having him you know uh, do a bunch of, of complicated blocking and and uh, you know that that I mean there were there were Lions fans because it was a crucial a couple of crucial Don Barkley penalties late in the game against Cincinnati that undid the last two Lions drives and you know the double agent talk started immediately on Twitter that this is the long con by the Packers to cut Don Barkley, allow the Lions to sign him, and then, you know, have him work as a mole to undo the Lions season. That is a tremendous conspiracy theory. (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned the run game. I mean, the, the Packers, they shut down the run game in the first matchup between these two teams, and it didn't matter because Matthew Stafford just torched them, just picked them apart through the air. And that's something that obviously uh, they're able to do that, that most teams who can't run the ball don't have a quarterback as talented as Stafford is and don't have a pair of receivers as talented as, as those guys are. What I'm wondering is why, why is it that Stafford hasn't been able to get to, you know, the, obviously he had that ultra productive season. um, Was it 2011? with Calvin Johnson when he was had that ridiculous season. But it seems like he's so talented and can get so on fire hot. I don't understand why with the quality of of players at his disposal, why this offense isn't more consistently explosive. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's important to kind of look at how they achieved kind of the pinball numbers. Stafford was, I think, number two and number one. No, I'm sorry number one both times in pass attempts in 2011 and 2012. So uh, he had 727 pass attempts in 2012. Uh, that's wow. that's 45.4 per game. So if you're rolling out of betting and going, <laughs> we're, yeah, I mean, you talk about abandoning the run. That the, the game plan was never to run. There was never one ounce of running in that Scott Linehan offense. It was, we're going to throw it 50 times, and that's what they did every single week. You know, and uh, this year it's 35.7. Uh, so, uh, you know, basically 10 pass attempts, 10 fewer pass attempts per game. And really the frustration has been for Lions fans, why don't they abandon the run? 
you know, when, when you are averaging less than three and a half yards per carry, um, when you're number 32 in, you know, rush effectiveness by just about any imagination, by any metric, uh, you know, when you can't run the ball, why is it, why are you running on the first play of every series is a run and everybody knows it's a run and everybody knows it's not going to work and it doesn't work. And, you know, you just are putting your offense in a hole that way. Why aren't you using the weapons that you've got? Why aren't you going, you know what, if we've got to roll out of bed and throw it 50 times today in order to win, that's what we'll do. Uh, I understand it's more effective to be able to have balance in the offense. It's more effective to be able to have defenses not know how you're going to, to, you know, to attack them. But when you can't run, all you're doing is limiting yourself. And, and absolutely, I feel like if you gave some, some more attempts, you know, Eric Ebron, uh, you know, the Bengals could not cover Eric Ebron. He's been one of the hottest tight ends in the NFL over the past six, seven weeks. And they're just, yeah, who'd have yeah thought? no, not even Lions fans least of all. Uh, but, you know, and then, I mean, all of these guys can play. Marvin Jones should be getting more balls. Golden Tate should be getting more balls. I mean, there's, there's hardly enough reps to go around when you're only throwing it 35 times a game with the number of weapons that you've got. And yet you're sitting here going, why aren't they more productive? So, uh, you know, for me, it comes back down to, and this is, you know, the big ultimate reason why Lions fans and, and Lions media were unanimously calling for Jim Caldwell's head after this game against Cincinnati, because here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Let's do a 50, 50 mix of each. No, how about you do more of what's working, <laughs> even if that's not, you know, philosophically how you'd prefer things to go. Um, so I'm, right. I'm very curious to see how they approach this game against the Packers, you know, um, what the players are motivated to do, if there's going to be more young guys getting chances, you know, if they're going to rip things up and go, well, you know, we're all, we're all fired, might as well get interesting. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what to expect with this game. We'll get back to Ty in just a minute, but I want to tell you about Draft. Longtime listeners of the show will know that this is for fantasy football fans who want to play daily fantasy but do not want to get hoodwinked at those other sites with the Sharks and the Ringers and all the guys using their advanced algorithms to game the system. It's not too late to join the 500,000 people that have already downloaded Draft this season. You get to play a real live snake draft. You're done in under five minutes and they last for just a week, just like the Daily Fantasy except you're going to be in a snake draft and your chances of winning are 80% better than the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code LONFL. That's right, play a real money game for free just by using the promo code LONFL. And if you don't love it, listeners to the show will get a money back guarantee up to a 100 just search draft in your app store or go on draft.com and come play for free right now with the promo code L O N F L. All right, back to Ty. I will tell you that um, as from a Packers perspective, every time that Theo Riddick is lined up wide and he doesn't get the ball is, is a win for the Packers. In my opinion, that's just like, <laughs> I don't know why they don't every time he's on a linebacker or a safety, why they don't run some sort of angle route or option route. Cause he should, he's open every time, every time he's never yeah. not open. And I, I don't understand why that, 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 that is, I mean, it was a big part of their offense last year. And for whatever reason, it hasn't been this season. 
another thing that you mentioned that I thought was was interesting in terms of having a some symmetry with the Packers is Eric Ebron, his ascendance over the last month or so, month and a half. And yeah. Demarius Randall for the Packers has had a similar sort of maligned start to his career. Certainly last year he played bad through injury, played hurt, and then played poorly. But the last two months, last 10-ish games, he's been a legitimate number one corner and by far the most uh, dependable player in the secondary for Green Bay. So it is funny how those those things that that happen at the beginning of the year, the narratives that we follow by the end of the year can just be totally lit on fire because ultimately all these guys are talented. They're NFL players. And yeah. sometimes you, it just takes one little stretch of you getting hot and it clicking for the coaches and the other players and for the player himself to say, hey, I, I can do this and I have the confidence to go make plays. And suddenly, you know, Eric Ebron is as talented physically as any tight end in football. He should be playing like this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, since, so let's see, if we go back to week nine, Ebron has caught 77% of his targets for almost an eyelash short of 11 yards per catch and three touchdowns. So that's a 16 game pay, 74 catches, 810 yards, six scores. And that's, you know, outside of Gronk and Kelsey, that's basically number three. Um, But before that, he couldn't catch a cold which was sort of a reversion to a lot of the problems with concentration drops he had earlier in his career. And it was to the point where literally, um, you know, if it was Ford Field, he was getting booed every time he touched the ball. Um, even notably in the middle of one game, uh, he was, they did a like, ask, you know, ask the player, you know, puffball video feature. Mm-hmm. And it was Ebron and just booing him mercilessly, oh, no. you know. And, you know, one of the weird things is um, he became a father right about at that point. And, you know, he sort of jokingly got, I, I, I talked to him about this and Ebron, Ebron's a character. He's a different cat. He's a funny guy. You know, so he kind of, he kind of goes right along with the, oh, so like you had a baby and like immediately matured. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. That's what happened. You know, and you know, you're not quite sure if he's being serious or if he's kidding or what, um, but, but certainly a switch flipped. In, in his approach to the game and, you know, the way he's playing right now that you you think they would just keep feeding him. He had 11 targets, caught 10 of them for 94 yards against Tampa Bay. And you know, like you said, they lined him up wide against Cincinnati for that 33-yard touchdown. And, you know, it was a linebacker out wide, tight man. He made one move and just broke the dude's ankles and was gone. That's, that's, that's an incredible mismatch. So, um, you know, all the pieces are there. The foundation is there. And I think because of the missed opportunities, the predictability and matchups, you know, Lions fans have been screaming to get Fia Riddick and Amir Abdullah on the field at the same time all year long. And it's, it's, it's barely happened. And, and there's no real explanation for why. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you make any predictions because ultimately the outcome of this game is, is only relevant to NFL draft seedings. Yes. Um, So, you know, sort of who cares? I think both teams for different reasons would like to lose. Or at least certainly generate gamblers. Don't forget gamblers. There's also that. um, Also an important cohort to worry about, especially given some of the sponsors of this podcast. Correct. But if we're going to look long term with the with the Lions, or at least more macro moving forward, 
What do you think needs to happen and what do you think will happen in terms of of this offseason and and where this Lions team might be different and where they might seek to make changes going into the 2018 year next year? Yeah, they have some key guys whose contracts are up on the offensive line. Um, You'd hope and expect to get TJ Lang and Rick Wagner back 100%. Um, you have a decision to make on Travis Swanson, who again suffered a concussion this year. The starting center missed some time. You know they drafted Graham Glasgow to kind of be the center of the future, and he played overall quite well. Even though they had to repeatedly switch him left guard, center, center, left guard, left guard, center, center, left guard, as Swanson was available or not. So, you know, do you let Swanson walk and make Glasgow the center and and find another solution at left guard? They have a couple players they're okay with there. Um, you know, or, or what? Because the offensive line's lack of health and lack of consistency really sunk this season, I think. And, you know, Bob Quinn, that's where he put most of his time and effort and energy is improving the blocking, going and getting Darren Fells, drafting Michael Roberts, the tight end in the fifth round. Um, you know, he really improved that whole blocking line. And then, you know, most of those improvements weren't on the field. I think the starting five linemen played 108 snaps together. So that's one one key. You know, the offensive weapons are pretty much all there, all young, all locked up. Um, you know, a lot of people want a running back. But I'm not sure that if you go draft a theoretical Leonard Fournette or a theoretical Dalvin Cook in the first or second round, I, I don't know that that player has a whole lot more success because of the scheme and because of the blocking up front. So until they can get those things fixed, you know, I, we don't know who's running the offense. I don't know. Uh, the one thing that really didn't happen last year pass rush everybody said you gotta have a complimentary pass rusher to Ziggy Ansah and you have to add more firepower inside Ashawn Robinson um you know is coming on he's a very good young player but he's not a, a pure three technique penetrative pocket collapser against all young pass. player who looks like he's about 55 yes yes I'm sorry he is both all of our uncles and a very young player <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, George, George Foster was like, are you kidding me? That's somebody's uncle when he right. got drafted. <laughs> exactly. So funny. Uh, but, you know, and then, you know, Haloti Nada, they got a decision to make. Ziggy Ansa, they got a decision to make. Technically, he had a nine-sack season so far this year. In reality, that was three against Derek Flowers and three against uh, – I can't, actually, I can't remember if it was against Obui. But, uh, you know, three against the Bengals. And you kind of go, okay, that he really was not a force game in, game out. And all the right. biggest games of the year, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, completely invisible. So that's looking more and more like kind of a pricey franchise tag. And you go from there because there's just no, no other premium pass rushers available. But uh, that's really where I think the Lions have to go first and foremost is address that pass rush, that front seven, um, and, and, and hope that they can stop some of the bleeding. Because taking that step from terrible defense to mediocre defense that gets a lot of turnovers um, in some ways made them a little too confident in what they could lean on their defense for in the way they designed their offense, if that makes any sense. It does. The question that uh, I guess I have is are whoever is going to be playing on the, on the roster for Detroit next year, are the guys currently there going to be the ones coaching them? Uh, because if, if Terrell that. Austin is not, he is more than welcome in Green Bay. Right. And that, that's the crazy thing is that, you know, Terrell Austin and, and Jim Bob Cooter are on everybody's shortlist as, as some of the hottest coaching candidates in football, college, pro, you name it. And Jim Bob Cooter certainly 
made a name for himself by unlocking a lot of the potential of Matthew Stafford. Um, sort of perversely, though, as we saw in the great uh, Michael Rosenberg piece in SI, the big step forward that he did and that he took to unlock it was let Stafford run most of the offense. You know, okay, put it in Stafford's hands. Give him all the audibles. Give him all the options. So, you know, is that really the genius of Jim Bob Cooter, or is that they've you know like kind of you know latter stage Peyton Manning? You know, you can put whoever you want in the offensive coordinator's seat. Matthew Stafford will tell you what offense to run. Uh, you know, there, there's some. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, so, but at the same time, it looks like you know. I, let me start by saying Caldwell hasn't met expectations. This roster is more talented than this. The result, the bar is higher than this. And he was, he's been given a couple of goodwill extensions, both when Quinn took over and this past season. And I think, I think it's done, but then, you know, I think the only way you keep either of those coordinators at this point is if you promote them. And I don't think we've seen a lot of success with that approach. And I bet Bob Quinn is well connected as he is and as well respected as he is. Um, I, I believe he's going to be able to at least get whoever he wants in the room to interview, uh, even if the Lions aren't the first choice on the list for most candidates. So I, I bet Bob Quinn doesn't make a move without having a pretty good idea that he either wants to keep one of the coordinators or that one of the guys on his list is going to come. Can you handicap it for me briefly? Just I think Caldwell's gone. I think Caldwell's gone, and if I had to handicap it, I would say there's probably a better chance of bringing in a Matt Patricia type and keeping Cooter on board than uh, you know keeping Austin and hiring Josh McDaniels or keeping both and promoting one uh, or or letting both go and bringing in some total other person. If that makes sense. Is Matt Patricia the guy you mentioned because you both have such glorious beards? Yes. No, I mean, <laughs> that's yes, but also in terms of, uh, you know, McDaniels and Patricia, uh, of the two Patriots coordinators, I just feel like Stafford and McDaniels are not a great fit um, just with the micromanaging that McDaniels would probably want to do, you know, what, what Tom Brady does well is not what Matthew Stafford does well. And that's not a critique or an indictment of, of any, of any of those three people. I think McDaniels is a great coach. Um, but I, I feel like Patricia is probably the right mentality. Um, and, and enough of an in-between from what they had with Jim Schwartz and what they've got with Jim Caldwell. Um, and, and I think he'd still work well together with, with Cooter. And, and I think Austin probably, has earned the right more to move on. And, and certainly I think a lot of people in NFL circles have seen what he's done with over and over. Kerry uh, Hyder, Anthony Zettel, uh, you know, Akeem Spence, some of the, the scrap heap guys that they've been able to get production out of, uh, you know, they were able to get something out of Dwight Freeney, you know, <laughs> these sorts of things. Yeah. I, I, I think Austin will be able to get a job uh, before Cooter will, if for ex- agent experience, if nothing else. Ty, I have enjoyed the conversation. Please let my listeners know where they can find more of the work that you do. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm the editor at LionsWire, so lionswire.com, uh, and then, you know, the LionsWire on Twitter. That's all my Lion stuff. I also edit some phenomenal contributors there, especially as we round into the draft season. I'm not as big a draft guy as I used to be. Eric Schlitt and some of the others do fantastic work there, so definitely check that out. Uh, then I cover the NFL at a national level for 538. 
Um, I also do um, a podcast for uh, the Lions for the Athletic Detroit. So that's called Backward Down the Field on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Me and Chris Burke, uh, who's also been around the NFC North, the Midwest for a while. He's covered nationally at SI for a long time. Um, so we, we have a lot of fun with that. Uh, but then my the former home- colleague at SI and, and yes. Chris did my first opponent Wednesday for the Lions. So oh, this is actually. all good symmetry here. Yeah, me. Yeah, no, me and Chris backward down the field. Uh, people, people seem to like it. The response is good. So he's live at the game. I'm at home, um, and he. We have literally done a show with him still in the press box. Uh, so that's that's how that's live and how real it is. Uh, so iTunes and South Carolina, that, but all of it, all of it comes home on Twitter at Ty Shalter, T Y S C H A L T E R. Ty, thanks for joining the show. My pleasure, Peter. Anytime. All right, we're going to get into the Lions roster a little bit tomorrow. I'm not going to do as deep a dive as I would normally do just because we've done this team, we've seen this team, we we know what to expect from this team more or less. And I think it benefits us to discuss more about the Packers at this point in the year and what we've learned, what we hope to learn this week, what we hope to see in this final game of the season. And then if there's time, maybe some big picture discussions about uh, where we need to go from here. That will be Thursday. I think we'll have we'll have a Friday show. It'll be our last Friday show for a while just because there will not be injury reports to worry about. And with the offseason, I think it's, you know, it's probably time to give you guys a break. We're still going to have shows through the offseason. And it may not be five times a week. There may be some weeks we may not even do four. But there is still going to be a daily Packers podcast for you January, February, March, April, until we come back next fall and we're back in the swing of it. I'm still going to be around. We're still going to be doing shows. I hope you stick around. I hope I, I hope the offseason brings us a lot to talk about. I have a feeling that it will. We've got one more game in the 2017 season, then we're on to 2018. And that all means that you need to stay locked on Packers.